Hey everybody, this is Chris Sarda from Chaos and Comics. You can find me at Chaos and Comics on Instagram and Twitter and also on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chaos and Comics. This is uh, episode two of, I guess, a, a show I'm calling Stack of Comics, or I'm just going to literally talk about the stack of comics I just read or I've been accumulating uh, over the last couple days. Um, sometimes it'll be new issues, sometimes it'll be trades, sometimes it'll be like back issues I read. Uh, I'd imagine sometimes the stack of comics would just be me catching up on a series or something like that. So half of them might be just one series. Today they're, they're mostly, mostly newer issues that I've read that I'll talk about. Um, just so you know, if you're listening to this on YouTube, I will put a link in the description, um, for this exact same show, but in its podcast form. And then vice versa, if you're on the podcast, this is, I do videos on YouTube, but then these podcasts show up on YouTube also that, that aren't video necessarily. So let's get into it. I got a stack, I think about 16 or 17 comics, I think. I did I did do a quick ranking of them in, in, in descending order, so I'll talk about them in descending order. But, you know, it's not a real ranking. I did it real quick, didn't too, think too much about it. So the first one, or the last one on my list, is uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Multiverse. Tim Seeley's a pretty good writer. I like Tim Seeley, and uh, the art is actually really cool in it by Don Fraga. I ended up, I ended up taking the second cover, which is Skeletor on it. Um, and, uh, man, I, I actually had high hopes for it, because when I flipped through it, I was like, man, the art looks cool. A He-Man book? I mean, that has real hope uh, for a good comic book in this modern age. You know, I'm sure there was corny He-Man stuff being done. And the art is really good. It's actually very detailed and interesting. The problem is, is that you do a multiverse thing, which is basically, basically what this is, is like the Spider-Verse crap or the the Batman Who Laughs stuff, the, the dark multiverse in, in DC. And if you didn't really have a He-Man comic or any real stories or anything to build on, doing like a multiverse thing just didn't didn't fit, didn't work for me. So uh, that is at the bottom of the list. Um, second to last, I put here. I'm, it's funny because I do, you know, I ranked them real quick, but some of these I'm surprised that I had them so low. But um, second to last on the list is uh, 2099 Alpha. I'm, I'm excited for the for 2099 Alpha, and this book was. Like most alpha books, not very good because it seemed to be touching on uh, a bunch of the storylines in the event and doesn't have any real unity or, or anything like that. Uh, I also should admit that, I mean, I literally today bought them because they were a dollar at my um, local comic shop. They were having like the pre-Black Friday sale, so wall books were only a dollar. But I didn't read Amazing Spider-Man 33 and 34. So I will eventually read those. So I don't know if I, I'm confused because of that or what, but this 2099 Alpha book, um, there's nothing wrong with it. Like the writing, the drawing, the uh, art is good, but it's just so those these Alpha books are just so disjointed, just showing up, coming in on little pieces of storyline and not really doing anything um, important or being a good comic in general. Uh, next on my list is Necromancer's Map, number four. Uh, this is a vault comic. And to be honest, I liked the story. This sort of enveloped. It was really a one-shot. And, um, you know, my problem with this, and this is written by Andrea Fort, Michael, 
Michael Christopher Heron. That's funny. My name's Christopher Michael. That guy has a more generic name than me. Um, drawn by Sam De- uh, Beck. Uh, to me, really, the problem was is that it looked like this was... Um, sometimes it looked like it was printed incorrectly. So it's actually a cool book. And maybe it shouldn't rank so low, but some of the art looked blurry. And I think it was more of a printing problem. Like, it doesn't look as as sharp and you know the art is pretty like basic cartoony kind of thing but um yeah some of these panels didn't look good and that sort of took me out of it i kept noticing it but the story was cool and i'm sticking with necromancer's map i like it i like to support vault and those kind of things and so that's where i ended up on that one ended up you know third from the bottom uh next one on the list is Rye number one, a Valiant comic. Every now and then I grab these Valiant comics. And uh, this you know, this time it was by Dan Abnett, who I think is a very underrated writer. And, you know, I've just wanted to try some Valiant here and there. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I'm missing anything because I don't know that much about Valiant. Like I said, I just dip in it every now and then. And so it was okay. Um, Rye seems a little OP, a little overpowered. And... You know, this book involves him needing to hunt. There's a little kid version of him. It wasn't bad at all. I ended up only getting this book because uh, there is a there is a homage cover coming up in either number one or number two that I pre-ordered. And you know, so, sometimes I cover by if I like the cover. I imagine myself like putting these up on the wall, which I don't ever do, but I imagine doing it one day. And so, if there's cool covers, you know, I don't mind doing that so much. It's like a $4 print is what it ends up being. But, uh, you know, this was okay. So I just grabbed it off the shelf and I'll probably I'll probably buy it at least through the, the cover I pre-ordered. Next on the list is Safe Sex, number three. I really like the first two issues. This issue had a, has a different artist that has a, a lot more simple style. Her name's Ann, uh, Alejandro Gutierrez. And this also felt a little bit like a filler issue, like maybe they got behind. So you have these like, you know, it's still like weird and dirty like it should be. It's very pro sex worker. Um, Tina Horn is here, the writer. So, you know, that's a, a interesting spot for me. This is not something I know about or, you know, I'm married and compared to the people in this book, extremely conservative. Although I wouldn't, it's very rare that I would consider myself a conservative, but in light of these people, I am. So a lot of this, I just, I'm sort of in a sit and listen mode as far as, um, what Tina Horn is, is selling or explaining here. And as far as like sex worker rights and all that kind of thing. But, um, in the end, this book felt very filler. It was like what they were doing when this other thing was happening. And then the art was extremely, extremely simple. The style was very, basic even though or no the skill level was at very basic like you could see it but um the style was very good and that's probably what made me think it was somewhat you know made me have good feelings with it in the end uh the next book in the stack uh, and we're getting sort of towards the middle we're in a lot of indie books is family tree by jeff lemire phil hester on the art um actually i don't know who did what it's just as Jeff Lemire, Phil Hester, Eric Gapster, Ryan Cody, Steve Wands, Will Dennis. So, 
Um, like literally a girl is turning into a tree here. And that's sort of, you know, this felt at the beginning, it felt like one of Jeff Lemire's slice of life books, uh, like Royal city or I don't know if Gideon falls was that, or if that was horror, but then it, you know, it has this weird situation. Basically this girl is turning into Groot or something in it. And, uh, it's the first issue. I don't know how I feel about it. It's one of those things where when it comes out, if my if my stack is too big, I'll probably skip number two. If it's not, you know, I'll pick it up just to continue reading it to see what Jeff Lemire is doing. The art's pretty good. has a, a real dark uh, tone. It it's um it's reminiscent a little bit of a uh, to me at least uh, Jason Latour, but then the the tone and the colors. Uh, you know, take it away from what I what I think of uh, Latour's work. So this was okay. Family Tree number one didn't didn't hate it, didn't love it, but it is a first issue. So so who knows where it goes? Uh, the next book in front of Family Tree is Olympia. This one did come out this week, and this uh, one it's a little bit heart touching because it looks like it looks like uh, Kurt uh, Pires or Pyres, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, sort of developed this while his dad was undergoing treatment for cancer. It has a strong Thor, New Gods sort of feeling to it. Um, it mixes sort of that love with comics in it. The, uh, the art is okay. Uh, when they're switching from the comic, you know, the comic world to the real world, it's... It's okay. This is the kind of art that will grow on me, though, where I'll start to associate the um, the artist style with the actual book itself. So in the beginning, like it's so-so, sometimes these, it's almost a slice-of-life comic with, you know, a bunch of gods showing up or whatnot. So it's, it looks like some of these faces are hard to tell apart, with the exception of the gods, so I can tell apart from, you know, what they're wearing. But um, we'll see where this goes. I like it, and uh, it's something else special when you're thinking about, you know, reading this, and that it was done with Kurt Pyers and his son and his uh, father as his father was passing away. So it has a little bit more of a, a purity, a pure love in it that uh, that I'd like to see where that goes, you know. And I'm a in the end, I'm a you know a big emotional idiots. So like to support that kind of thing. Uh, next on the list, and that's funny cause I thought I ranked this much higher, but it's weird is uh, ginseng roots by Craig Thompson. Now this is a mini comic and this is one of those, you know, Craig Thompson is one of those cartoonist types, uh, the drawn and quarterly types, the fanic graphic types. He wrote blankets more than a decade, almost two decades ago, I guess. I've never actually read it, but I've checked it out from the library a bunch. And then I'm like, this is very thick. And I get back to like Superman. I, I don't read Superman, but Batman or whatever. But his Ginseng Roots is coming out monthly as a monthly. And I uh, really enjoy this. It sort of surrounds his family life, his field work that he did as a kid growing up poor, the religious side, which is what Blankets is mostly about and his family all, all around this ginseng that was, um, basically his little town's main, uh, main industry. Uh, 
and I like it. It's just that these uh, these narrative memoir type style writing, I it can only go, I can only like it so much. I'm a, I love Cartoonist Kayfabe. It's a great YouTube channel. But Ed Piscor's writing is very similar. It's more of like a documentary, like Hip Hop Family Tree. It's more of a documentary. It's not a story. And the same with his X-Men work, right? He was basically doing a documentary and retelling the stories that were told by Claremont, etc. So that kind of style of writing is only so big for me, or it can only rank so high. But I still enjoy it. And uh, the, the art is interesting, and it's a clever design. And I will continue with Ginseng Roots, because I like it a lot. And it's weird, because it's sort of here in the middle of the pile, which is a, a little bit strange, because I thought I, I ranked it much higher. So next up is a, another weird sex book. And this one is called Money Shot. And, well... Uh, Sarah Beatty deserves, you know, she deserves her follow on YouTube because she's really funny. She's a really dirty comedian type. She co-writes this with Tim Seeley, who is a guy I, I like a lot, but I ranked his, his He-Man pretty low today. Uh, but Money Shot is just, it's just really interesting and quirky. Where Safe Sex, the comic I just talked about, is... More of a, a political satire and then wanting to push like sex workers and stuff. This is just a raunchy comedy. This is just Sarah Beatty's mindset. It's it's just her shtick, you know. And and uh, this has this is a little more along my well, I guess the dystopia utopia thing is along my lines too, but that's set in San Francisco, more or less in the present time. This is in the future, and they go to other alien races, and it's about having sex with alien races and each other, and sending it to Earth, and then they make money. But of course, it can almost have this little Star Trek feel to it, because they go to different planets with uh, different kinds of races and get in different kinds of trouble. And number two was was good work. It was... Not surprising at all, but it doesn't need to be. It was exactly what number one was, exactly what I expected, and it's a lot of fun, and very raunchy, very strange, but not not quite porn, even though it's heavy on the porn industry and talking about the porn industry. What's next? I'm just curious where we are. So... Six, seven, eight... So that's nine comics already. So this is the 10th comic, not necessarily 10th ranked, but this is the 10th comic I'm talking about. And it is Marauders by Jerry Duggan and uh, Matteo Loli. I I like all the Dawn of X titles. I guess maybe I liked Sa- or the new titles after the House of X and Powers of Ten. And maybe I like some better than others. I I can't really tell. I don't even like to really rank them, even though two of them are ranked here, because that's what I'm doing. But this is a a fun little pirate show. I'm I'm not surprised by the end, because they've actually... I mean, even Jerry Duggan sort of gave away the ending of this book when he was giving a commentary on issue number one. But, uh... So... I don't even know what to say about it because I don't want to... This is a no-spoiler podcast. I guess I should have said that at the beginning. 
it's definitely a no spoiler podcast, so I won't say it, even though it's sort of not a spoiler if you're at the first one. You should have been able to figure it out. But, uh, yeah, I guess I want to wait to number three because I really want to talk about that spoiler. Or when I review, in my reviews, I am a full on spoiler so I can talk about the plot in detail. But yeah, this is cool. I hope they, I hope they really, hope Duggan's able to really make a cool pirate comic. And we won't really know that to six, seven issues in if the focus is on the piracy or if the focus is on the, um, the little corporation that, uh, that the White Queen and the Black King, we'll call them here, are are dealing with. This one was more focused on the, the corporate stuff. And then ranked just ahead of it, and I'm not sure that it really is better, but is Excalibur number two. I mean, Apocalypse probably put this over the top for me, because he's just, he's dark and brooding. You when When that payoff in House of X happened that Apocalypse came in and, and he joined with the X-Men and was happy about Krakoa. I was just real sketchy about it. Like, was Apocalypse is a good guy now. Apocalypse is on their side. And he's doing things. I, did, I thought he should be bad, right? Like, he should just be bad. He should be killing things. But they made it, this group of writers, and of course Hickman's leading it, they made it so that Apocalypse still feels menacing and isn't out of character, really. He's not out to kill these people, these X-Men that are his enemies, actually. He just has this menacing feel to him. So I don't know what he's doing in X-Men. If you read X-Men number two, he's in that also. And then uh, in Excalibur number two, he's protecting the lighthouse. And But he just still feels menacing and scary, even though he's like, I will protect your kid, Shogo, and I will protect Rogue and whatnot. So... I enjoyed Excalibur. I think they're really trying to focus more on Psylocke. I don't know if that's... Or not Psylocke. I guess Captain Britain, who's Betty Braddock. I don't know if that's working. But um, uh, it's only the second issue. So I, I, I really just should let Teeny Howard's plot develop a little here and um, before you bring the hammer down. But as far as just individual issues and thinking of that as a complete, I did enjoy my read on it. Next up is, you know, I'm a couple weeks late reading this, The Batman's Grave, number two, uh, by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. The team that was on Authority, you know, it seems to me, just the reviewers and, and things I read on Instagram and whatnot, that people didn't like number two, issue number two, as much as they like number one. It's like, I really like number one, number two was so-so. I actually really like number two. In fact, it's... I got another one I'm surprised. I guess I just like comics, guys. I mean, that I'm surprised it didn't rank up higher. But uh, I can see what's going on. There's a lot of talk about Batman beating up poor people, so I know that's going to be an undercurrent. I'm just a big Warren Ellis fan. And uh, and this had a lot of action, some tense moments with the cops. Um, and then just the detective story that's just hanging over everything. So I thought Batman's Grave Number 2 was great. The reality is, is that Batman's Grave is going to have to be thought of as a whole. You have to have read the whole thing, um, you know, reading it month to month. You're going to have to hope that it doesn't feel like there's filler issues, but that happens, you know, in a 12 issue maxi series. That'll happen, but um, hope that it doesn't happen too bad. And and I just trust Warren Ellis. I know that he's a good writer. I know that he knows what he's doing, and I enjoyed Batman's Grave number two. Getting closer to the top of my list here. Next is Once in Future number four. This is a Kieran Gillen book with uh, illustrations by Dan Mora 
and uh, Tamara Bonavillain is on the coloring. This just continues to be a good book. Um, not really comparable to Die or Wicked and Divine, to be honest. This is just Kieran Gillen just playing with some mythology and um, and putting a group of characters in and just seeing how they act, seeing the dumb crap that they do. So, uh, no spoilers here, but it is a grandmother. It is some old monster hunters and a grandson that didn't know that they were monster hunters just uh, being surprised and and dealing with some old King Arthur stuff. So, who, you know, are the bad guys in this. So, very, very fun book. Very exciting. Uh, has a its own violent twist. Kieran Gillen seems to be... Seems to describe his work on Die as the heady work. Very heady, very plot-centric. He's trying to say something. And that Once in Future is like sort of the fun, light-hearted action drama kind of thing. But I feel like Once in Future is pretty deep, especially when you're dealing with mythology and working that stuff in. It's interesting because Excalibur is doing that pretty well too, uh, using like these uh, Scottish Scottish mythology, these creatures that were trying to uh, get at Captain Britain from the sea and whatnot. And Once in Future is doing that very well also. So uh, Once in Future was a great read. I am happy that that's going to be Continue to be ongoing. It was only supposed to be six issues, but let's see where it goes from that. Uh, coming in, so I guess I'll count these out. So Once in Future was my fifth book. My fifth book of this of this stack of random books. Number four is Outer Darkness, number 12. Um, this might be comic series of the year for me. I'd have to think about it, but uh, ranking comics and and talking about them and telling you what's good and what's bad and whatnot. Outer Darkness has just been great. It's just really gotten to me. The it grown on me, in fact, and I think it's just gotten better and better. John Layman and Afu Chan, and Afu Chan is a is an artist that uh, has very specific style, but doesn't skimp on backgrounds and whatnot. And along with John Layman, is just weird and creative, although. Even though there's a lot of detail, it's still a cartoony art, and it still feels pretty minimalist. But it's, the book is just so weird. It's just so weird, and and really just takes a different. It's a different beat on this book. You know, there's just a different beat on it. And I could see someone reading this and thinking it sucked, to be honest. But I don't. I think it's. I think it's grand. I think it's wonderful. Um, book number three on the stack is. The very controversial Tom King Batman. This is my third favorite book of these 17 or 18 here. Uh, Tom King is the writer, of course. Um, Michael Janin, or Mikkel Janin, sorry, Janine, is the artist. Jordi Belair on colors. Uh, she's great. And I, I, I love this book. I mean, there's a literary crap going through here. I think it's Longfellow. I didn't recognize the poem. Um, there's like spoilers in this, so I can't really talk about it, but people hate this and I love it. I think this was a, a great book. I mean, I have my problems with it as far as, you know, who the antagonist actually is and, and, uh, just breaking down just, you know, they're just really effing up Batman to be honest. So I'm all about it. I'm all about this book. I think it's really good. Uh, I think he's doing something completely different and, you know, as far as Batman not acting like himself, I mean, 
the Batman who laughs, he didn't act like himself at all either. He was fighting some urge, you know. So this one, it's, it's love and it's the people that raised him and whatnot. So anyway, so something serious to something just completely silly. And it's another Jerry Duggan book. This is Punisher Kill Crew number five. This book is just silly. It's just really silly. And because it understands it's silly, it's what makes it work. And it's amazing because these two Punisher books that are basically spin-offs of the War of the Realms series. So there was one that happened during War of the Realms, and then there's this one uh, that you know happens afterwards. It's Punisher getting revenge on these guys. So it's not your typical Punisher because he's fighting Thor villains. I've just said this so much. I'm the only one reading it, it feels like. But... Um, you know, at the end, it's just it's just the way Punisher is. It just gets to the base of Punisher, even though it goes way off, you know, into the cosmos. It still finds the base of Punisher, just like the War of the Realms Punisher did. Um, so, I liked it. And what we'll probably put this over the top, because then, you know, it's still just uh, Jerry Duggan doing his thing, right? But what puts this over the top is Juan Ferreira's art. I just think it's been beautiful. And the covers are done by uh, Tony Moore, and those are just amazing, too. So, I truly enjoyed this book. It was funny, it was silly, and it's probably the weirdest team that you'll ever see. Thor's Goat, Black Knight, Punisher, Foggy Nelson, and Juggernaut. Like, it felt like, feels like Duggan just put his hand in a in a bag and, like, pulled out random characters and goes, okay, let me, let me make it work, let me make it work. And, number one... I don't know if other people would have liked this as much as me, but I'm just really bought into the Venom verse right now. Uh, is Absolute Carnage number five? Uh, pretty much, the ending is what I would expected. Um, who gets free is what I would expected, and what Venom finds out, or at least I shouldn't even say Venom. Eddie Brock finds out, you know, that the whole thing dealing with his son slash brother. And who knows what, who does what. All that stuff I was sort of expected. But it's just a real cool fight scene. We we find out more about... Or we just see Dylan's rock powers in, in action. We don't actually find out that much more. And it just all ends... You know, this big event where Captain America and Wolverine are involved and whatnot. It just ends in a mess and a big fight. Uh, and then goes right to the personal stuff, which I'm invested in. So, they, they Donnie Cates has got me... On that stuff, on the little family soap opera of BS, and I guess that is is what makes me really like it. If you're not bought into that, then you're not going to enjoy it. And Stegman just draws; he doesn't, he's not anything like Todd McFarlane. But Todd McFarlane just gets the living suit, gets the movement of in comics when you know you can do like a, a tar kind of thing. I mean, he invented the idea in both Venom and Spawn, of course, right? And Stegman's just really good at it too. And so he's not the new Todd McFarlane because he looks like Todd McFarlane or his drawing is like Todd McFarlane. He's new Todd McFarlane because the living symbiote thing, he could just really do it well. And um, the way you can see that most and what Todd McFarlane's probably better at than him is where you really see it is that when the symbiote isn't living, when it's just Venom. And if I review this, I'll show these panels. But when it's just Venom and and there's no moving symbiote. The facial expressions don't look that cool, to be honest. Um, I don't love the way Venom looks when he's not, ven- you know, menacing tongue out Venom. Um, so that's it. That was number one. 
Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman, Absolute Carnage number five. And hey, this was a stack of comics, episode number two. Thank you very much for checking this out. And remember, find me at Chaos and Comics on Instagram and Twitter and at youtube.com slash chaos and comics. I will see you guys later.